You are listening to the Sports CDP Crash Course, your go-to podcast for all things sports related. We talk about how sports clubs and teams can sell more tickets and merchandise than ever before and how they can negotiate sponsorship agreements of higher value. We also champion women's sports and discuss how data and innovation can help bring equality to the sports industry. We have interviewed industry leaders who have worked with the likes of the NFL, FC Barcelona, Women in Football UK, FIBA, the Davis Cup, just to name a few. So don't miss out. Listen to today's episode. Our next guest is a sport for development consultant, currently working with organisations such as Unisports Hub, Girl Power, Discover Football and the international platform on sport and development. Marissa Schlenka is very passionate about community and the role this can play in bringing real tangible value and change to the sports industry. And today we get to hear from Marissa on all these topics and so much more. Marissa, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here and to speak with you about my different experiences and and thanks for inviting me. Before we begin, we like to start off our sessions with an icebreaker. Are you ready for that? Of course. I love icebreakers. (laughs) What's your favorite quote, expression or motto and why is it your favorite? All right. Um, Oh, that's a tough one. So what I would say, uh, it's a quote by Maya Angelou. Um, She's an American. Well, she she passed away in 2014, but she's an American author and activist. Many, many people around the world know her. And she says, people will forget what you said. People will forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel. And for me, um, this relates to being a human being, <laughs> to all the relationships that you have. It's how you make people feel and thinking more intentionally about how you do that, how you treat other people. And I also, I chose it also because it reminds me of a lot of the times that I'm working in sport, either as a coach or designing a program, just about how you can make someone feel in a certain space, in a certain way, and, and just being very smart about, um, yeah, your actions and how other people react to, to who you are and what you say and, and what you do. I absolutely love Maya Angelou. She was a very wise woman indeed. And um, Marissa, you're involved in so many different uh, things with so many different amazing organizations. But I'm curious, how did you get involved with sports or in sports from the get-go? Yeah, so I, um, I'm, I'm now living in, in Germany, in southern Germany, for the last nine years. But I actually grew up in the States. So I grew up in the U.S., in the Midwest, um, outside a city outside of Chicago. And so there I was really fortunate. Um, sport was a part of my life, a part of my childhood from the get-go. I'm, I'm one of four, and I often did what my older sister, Laura, she was doing. And, and she got into sports. My parents were coaches. So sports was, it, it was school, it was sports, it was community, it was family. So it was, it was really normal. And, and for me, I, I thought it was normal. And, and I never really realized that for many young women around the world, uh, it's not the norm. And even for, for young men and for other genders as well. But I was, I was really privileged to grow up with lots of opportunities and, and parents who would take me to different opportunities to play sports. So sport um, was really a big part of my identity. Um, and I guess I, I continued to play and I, I love the experience of sport. 
And I always was, I went towards team sports. So I loved playing with other people. I loved having coaches. I loved having strategies. I loved finding my role on a team. Um, and so, yeah, my, my main sport was soccer or is, it still is. So I'm, I'm almost 40 and <laughs> I still am playing um, soccer, but now I, I'll, I'll refer to it as football. So yeah, I played football at a, at a very high level, um, even when I was in high school and then I got to play at university. And I was always able to combine football with other passions. So there it was football in my academics. So I was able to use football as, as well as a tool to get into university and get a scholarship. So it was always connected to other parts of my life. I didn't see it as a separate thing, but sports was always interconnected for me. Um, and then that led me to seeing sports, how sports can be used as a tool for social development. Um, and this is really, I think, why I've ended up in this space where I'm part of different programs. I'm coaching others on how you can create programs and projects um, whereby you use sport as a tool, an intentional tool for social development and other social outcomes. So really, I think it was my own experiences in sport, which is often what you can find from a lot of people in the sport for development sector is generally they had positive experiences in sport as a player, as a coach, as an activist. Um, and if not, they, they were able to realize why that was and they want to change it for others. So yeah, definitely it's it started from that. And um, I think sport has so many different benefits it can bring at the individual and community level. So this is why I'm, I'm really excited about what's happening in this space and, and hopefully it can even improve with more voices and, and different organizations and different people in the sport for development space. And uh, the the sports for development space, as you call it, it's very um, mission based from from my understanding. Is that so? And if if it is so, what do you think your mission when it comes to your involvement in that space is? Different stakeholders get involved in the sport for development space for for different reasons and with different intentions. But I've, I've personally so I've worked for um, different organizations, so NGOs. Um, who see sport as a tool to mainly work with youth, um, often about skill development, about providing access to knowledge that perhaps that the youth or the target population doesn't normally have access to. So using it as a platform. Um, also, it depends on the community. It can be used as a tool to bring together communities where normally they wouldn't have this exchange. So it's more about the interaction and how you can use sport in that way. And for me personally, um, I would say I'm really interested in this space because it acknowledges that there's a lot of inequalities which exist and inequities. And, and for me, I was always driven by this realization that as a young woman in America, I got to grow up and, and take part in lots of sports and I had lots of opportunities. Yes, maybe it wasn't the same across different demographics. And I understand that, you know, as a white young woman growing up in the suburb, I had lots of opportunities and I'm aware that that's not the case for everyone in America, of course, but it just led me to think why, like, and, and thinking about gender equity, gender inequalities in sport. And so for me, I'm really invested in the sport for development space. And I'm, I'm, I'm super interested in what the different ways that sport can be used as a tool, but I'm particularly, I would say really interested in how um, sport is used to enable that more girls, different genders can can participate, can access sport, and what is their experience like and what they can take from sport. Um, so I think more of my mission would be looking at how sport can be leveraged as a tool um, to address the many different gender inequities. But I'm also aware that that ties into many other um, topics and challenges as well. But 
I'm always, so that's kind of what leads me to work with different organizations, for example, Discover Football, and they are female activists, um, and they're really about using sport as a tool for women's rights and, and for ensuring that women have the right to play football in different parts of the world. So I definitely get more involved as well as with Girl Power. It's it's working, it's led by um, women with refugee and asylum, well, more refugee backgrounds and and they're doing amazing work designing their own programs for other ref women with refugee backgrounds. So it's really looking at kind of a, yeah, how sport can be leveraged just as a tool. It has to be connected to other types of services and other types of, you know, state, you know, with other stakeholders. But I would definitely say my mission is more around gen, you know, how can sport be used? How can, how can we address the gender inequities in sport, but how can it also be used as a tool to then um, support women and girls in other areas of their life. So that's a long-winded answer, but um, that's kind of my mission. And I find that I am able to um, ex not execute, but take steps towards this mission more so in the sport for development space. That is a very perfect answer, Marissa. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't call it long-winded at all. Um, in, when speaking about gender inequity, I think that one of the things that America does really well is the college sponsorship for girls uh, and women to get involved in sports, getting their education at the same time, getting an opportunity to play. And people that have, it, many people that I've interviewed on this podcast actually have received a scholarship to study in America and play tennis, play football, play different things. Someone from New Zealand, someone from uh, here in Sweden, just a lot of people from many different backgrounds, someone from Germany as well had the opportunity to go to America and get their education while also playing uh, their favorite sport. And so I'm curious, what other noteworthy examples have you seen throughout just the international sports industry or even in Germany or still even in America where you feel like people are actually really trying to, to sort of bring some kind of equity by using sports as a tool, if you understand mm -hmm. my question? Yeah, for sure. And I'll just comment that I also, I mean, I would, I know the scholarship system well in the U.S. and it, from my understanding, and again, I'm not, I don't have the historical knowledge, but Title IX was really, and, and this is brought up many times because people look at the different models and you say, okay, why is, you know, this sports model, what does it look like in this country? And then you can look at the different challenges, the different outcomes, the results. And you do see in America, as you said, like there's lots of opportunities to the system set up so that you can get a scholarship so you can play sports and you could do academics at the same time. Obviously, there has to be these different scholarships because university in the U.S. is, is quite expensive. And, and all of this where it is has to be made sure that it's, you know, equal amount of funding and resources to go to men's and women's sports was because of, from my understanding, Title IX. And Title IX was um, a policy that was passed. And it's not just around sport, but it, it touches on sport. So it led, and you'll find lots of research, you'll find lots of people um, who refer to Title IX. And yeah, it's kind of a, a key point to a key point in history that then allowed more women to go to university and also to, to play sports. But the other thing there is also the, the level of sport instruction. So you get a lot of um, support and it's a very high level of sport in university. Again, I'm, I'm speaking from my experience, but you have coach teams, you have medical people on staff to support you, you've got tutors, you've got a lot of support. So it is kind of for many people, um, yeah, it's a great environment to be an athlete and a, and a student. And then other 
systems like so this is what's been really interesting as i've lived in different countries is finding out for women for example female authors what does that system look like um in different in different countries and i know for example in germany you know if a, if a female player wants to pursue football and play professionally then sometimes she is also employed at the police academy and and so there's ways that she's also able to earn an income because sometimes the income from the football doesn't isn't enough or also pursue her studies so um it looks it looks different you know depending on the country and and the setup and how intertwined sport is with the education system i think um but what i would say and what i'm finding more and more is that people are aware that even with these different opportunities um not everybody's able to get them but even when you're still pursuing your sport there's lots of um, challenges for female athletes because if they're not making enough money, they have to do you know another um, job on the side. And the more jobs that you have on the side of trying to pursue your sport, you're not able to be your full your full athlete when you arrive. Or there is lots of you know if a if a if a female athlete wants to pursue um, her sport, but she also is a mother. Like how do you how do you provide childcare? How do you think about the different experiences that female athletes have. Um, and I'm really inspired. I know that the Women in Sport Foundation in, in the US, it's a it's like such a powerhouse for, they do a lot of research around Title IX, they have a lot of programs and they support, for example, with different scholarships, travel um, for female athletes. I've even seen something around childcare um, and, and there's more of this uh, topic about women, you know, who are mothers who, who want to pursue their sport and how they can be supported as well. Um, in the U.S., there's also with the NWSL, I've seen kind of this movement um, where a lot of the players who are not at the, they're not at the national team level. So there's there's different pay, of course, in, in most sports and salaries. From my understanding, there's a group of um, players who are professional female football players, and but they have to have side jobs. And so there was a big movement because if you have to have a side job, then as I said before, you're not able to show up and you're not, you know, you're tired, understandably, you know, you've got two jobs, but how can these women also be able to, you know, focus on football and focus um, on their, their football careers with, without having to have these side jobs as well. So there's lots of, and then of course, who's supporting those. So then I think different companies and sponsors, you know, have seen that this is, these are the voices of the female players and they are reacting whether by offering programs or, you know, obviously it would be a help to increase their salaries so they don't have to have side jobs. There's lots of discussion, I would say, and, and that's more at the elite level, you know, so at the professional level, but in terms of kind of um, women and girls and their opportunities in sport at grassroots, I think there's a lot, from my perspective, a lot of research um, because there's a big concern that a lot of girls uh, around 13, 14 and 15 they take part in grassroots sports. Of course, I'm, I'm talking more generally, but at a certain age, then you see a big dropout. And so there's first research had to, researchers are looking into why this is the case. It might look different in Sweden and Germany and, you know, in different countries, but they are seeing that it's, it, it does happen. And so trying to understand why. So you, you, you try to find out the challenges and then the problems. And then there has to be resources in order for organizations to come up with different programs or design different things so that they can retain and keep the girls um, and the young women in sport, you know, so that they can benefit from sport. And so I've seen a lot of, um, yeah, funding that's available for this, 
this type of program design um, and exchange of practices across sport organizations so that people can try to understand better what happens at this age and, and how can we ensure that girls are staying in sport, um, that they're having good experiences and, and that they can continue to benefit from sport. So I think there's lots at the, you know, that's more at the grassroots community level. And then you also have, you know, at, at different levels. I I love football, so that's where I can speak to with more confidence because I'm I'm watching a lot of what the leagues are doing. Um, but I even see there that there's a lot of push from the female athletes for change. And so I think that that's really encouraging also for then the grassroots sports where girls are seeing, okay, these elite women are, are demanding change as well. You know, it's, it's interesting to see then how it reflects at the grassroots and community level. You, you mentioned a few changes. I'm wondering which, which changes have you seen in the industry that have you really excited and optimistic about the direction that the sports industry is headed in when it comes to sport, using sports for development, but also just mm-hmm. using looking at the entire sports industry? Yeah, it's and this is a super interesting question because for me it's all, and I think a lot of, I'm not a researcher in sport for development, but I often read a lot of the, so journal sport for development, there's sport and sociology, there's a lot of academics who are, and and people who are interested in how, because we talk so sport so broadly, you know, so how, how are the different levels of sport connected? So how can sport for development leverage the, you know, the advancement of sport industry, um, whether it's just by partnerships or resources, funding going into sport for development. So it's, it's super interesting. And oftentimes around major sport events, the World Cups and so on, um, you see sometimes these two levels coming together because uh, most of the sport events have, you know, responsibility, they have legacy programs and so on. And often, um, from my perspective, these legacy programs and community programs are led by the sport for development. So it's it's always interesting to see that. But going back to your um, question around the changes. Um, so what I'm, again, I'll refer to women's football because I'm a huge fan. I'm seeing in women's football, I mean, I think anyone who follows kind of the professionalization of the game has just been amazed in the last years. Um, I was lucky to be part of a kind of a research team that looked with FIFPRO, I was just as a volunteer there, but we were supporting and we were looking at how COVID uh, was implicating um, the women's game. And in this research, we were like, what were the implications of COVID on the women's game? Because there was, they'd seen that there was, they came out with a big report around the professionalization of the game. There was across, I wouldn't say across the world, in certain pockets, you know, there was more money going into the game, more sponsorships, um, women were able to have better playing conditions and so forth. And so then there is this fear, okay, what happens during COVID? And so we were looking at that. And then kind of what you saw post, even during and post COVID. So a lot of women's um, football was really affected, you know, because most times the vulnerable kind of unsteady, not so um, stable groups were quite affected by COVID, you know, outside of sport as well. And so there was this worry that the progress that women's football was making that would be pushed back down uh, with COVID and all the different things. What I'm impressed to go back to here is the change within women's football is what you're seeing around media, around sponsorships, around players. Um, I think players, female players have in many ways and in many countries been activists, but you've seen even more so that they're standing up um, for what they believe in and able to use their platforms because you also see that a lot of female players are able to use their own social media platforms to have a greater voice. 
and to stand up and, and to yeah express themselves through their platforms and, and different partnerships. And so I'm 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 really excited about what's happening uh, in women's sports in general. And also I there's this you know this four percent goes to women's this four percent of sports media goes to women's sports. And I've recently seen that it's gone up to 10% and there's a lot of data and a lot of uh, research saying, okay, now this, this 4% is not the case anymore. We're actually seeing that it's changing. And a lot of it is changing because people are saying, okay, enough with kind of more traditional media, like we're going to reinvent some things. And this is what I find really exciting and how that then relates to changes in sport for development. So sport for development, um, there's was research by Oaks Consultancy, um, during COVID, it was um, a lot of NGOs and a lot of social enterprises. They really took a, a hit because sport for development is based on activities and sport programs, which, you know, it's people coming out together and it's interactions, it's action, it's sport. And so I think from that report, what I remember is that a lot of programs, you know, they weren't able to meet their fundraising needs because the different funders they saw that they weren't able to deliver on their different services so a lot were able to pivot and do certain things online but in general um also the the bigger kind of needs shifted and and maybe away from seeing sport as a you know important tool <laughs> an important area to fund during covid when there were so many other things so sport for development definitely um was impacted and and this is not just my perspective because i would only have a limited but i i remember reading about the the findings in the Oaks Consultancy. Um, but since then, I know we're not so far out of COVID. Um, because of how sport for development organizations were had to shift, um, you saw that they also started using technology differently, um, which they can now use more so in their everyday programming. So there's a lot of sport for development that now um, you know has hybrid approaches or also they use technology for their monitoring and evaluation and learning of their programs. So a lot of the ways that they had to shift during COVID actually led to some improvements after COVID. So that's that's also really exciting. And also what I remember reading is that they had to think of new innovative ways to bring in funds. So maybe not just relying on donors or your traditional grant writing, but partnerships with stakeholders, with companies, or even thinking about how they could use their assets, their resources, um, and try to also generate revenue in different ways. So some of what, you know, the challenges of COVID then turn into opportunities. And I think this is really exciting that you've seen. And also one last point where I saw kind of going back to the, where I saw the elite level of sport connect with the sport for development was when a lot of, at least here in Germany, a lot of elite sport professional teams, they were being asked during COVID, okay, what's your responsibility? You know, provide entertainment to fans who love the game, um, but also what is your social responsibility? What's your responsibility to community? And you saw loads of examples where stadiums became places where people could go and get food, get tested. They provided different services. You saw all sorts of things like that. And I think that um, really challenged some clubs and, and, and made them think, okay, what is our responsibility to the community, our local community, because oftentimes they have also global. And then this also reinforced what you're seeing now, um, a lot of clubs and a lot of even athletes taking on more of a social responsibility. So I think um, we've gone all, the whole world has gone and we're constantly, I don't think we'll ever go back. Sport has changed 
in so many ways, um, everything has changed. And I think we have to take kind of the challenges that turned into opportunities and, and move forward with them. So I'm excited in, in many ways. I, I know that sport is not going to uh, solve, you know, global complex problems, but I think um, from my understanding, people are seeing it as a space, as a sector where it can come up with maybe different solutions, which of course need the support of other sectors, but um, we'll see. Um, and I, I'm hopefully to be part of that change as well. Absolutely. And uh, one of the emerging conversations at the moment when it comes to women's sports and sponsorship is when a sponsor that is not typically known for upholding women's rights, upholding whatever, because women's sports stands for so much. And it it has been proven through research that the average uh, women's sports fan is very much driven by their values, by their the, the need for equality, activism, and they want authentic authenticity. So they want the sports club to be really authentic and to really walk the talk. And so the, the conversation at the moment that is emerging when it comes to sponsorship, and now I'm curious if this is the same conversation that's emerging when it comes to fundraising, is when somebody's offering you money, but you know that they don't have a history of upholding women's rights. A typical example was um, Saudi Arabia trying to be the main sponsor of the World Cup, Women's World Cup. And another another thing was in New Zealand when Shell was trying to sponsor a club out there as well. And so yeah. I wonder if this is an issue as well when it comes to sports uh, for development where you really do want the money, but sometimes yeah. the sponsor is not really aligned with your brand mm-hmm. and what you believe in. Is this an issue? Yeah, and just even at the, I, I know what you're referring to, and I think there you saw certain players who have a bigger voice and bigger platform are able to uh, say something about, you know, the different sponsors who are involved in the elite, you know, mega bigger sporting events. And I also find that interesting, which ones, which players are able to stand, you know, maybe other players also have those opinions and, hey, this sponsor does not, is not driven by the same values and, and principles. and but they're not in the same, they don't have the same, maybe they don't feel as comfortable because, you know, they need to make sure that they always perform to get paid. There's lots of different, so it it is interesting to see which players are able to step forward and and say something. And then also how other players then rise up or even other teams and support these players who do use their platforms and voice to say, okay, this is not okay. Um, You know, we are driven our sport and, and the way we play and, the way we as players, you know, want the sport to develop because they're they're pioneers in many ways, you know, is based on these types of values and it doesn't fit. So I, I really find that conversation interesting. But yeah, in sport for development, because a lot of times, you know, you develop, you need sponsor. Like I said, I mean, even during COVID, if a lot of your funding's not there, you're you're often reliant, on, you're you're dependent on getting the next fund. So you're always looking for partners, and, and you know, goal number seventeen is about partnership, and um, Often, you know, sport for development organizations, because, you know, you're looking for, you're working and you get a grant and then you do a project and you have to look for the next one. It's hard sometimes to then say no to an opportunity that probably comes up um, where then somebody would like to fund your work. Um, But still, I would say, so there's lots of, within sport for development, I would say there's also very grassroots organization. There's also a lot of research on this on the organization or more and more research about 
the different um, levels of organizations are able to offer a program in this community and then they can scale and maybe it's then they're offering more programs in x amount of communities there's some support for development organizations which um who are you know who then kind of at the next level up and they're able to work across countries they're able to you know employ more people and so on and so they're also the ones that are often able to get these kind of bigger um, sponsors especially sports sponsors um involved in funding the work because a lot of the sport companies are interested and they need you know taking responsibility social responsibility um so they have to make sure that they are funding either whether through their csr or other um, type of resources funding the support for development organizations so in those conversations i know that they have to be very clear about their their purpose their values and make sure that they align and i think it can be difficult because they're coming into so say you have a sport um, company which you know of course they see that sport is a, a tool um but they don't really understand the programming and what it looks like at the community so they could come in with kind of you know uh intention about more about metrics and you know uh, making sure that they're reaching x amount of kids whereas the sport for development organization could say hey it's it's not just about the numbers it's about the quality it's about keeping um the youth or whoever the target audience in the program ensuring that it's for a long term so i think you have to negotiate and you have to kind of uh, explain to one another okay this is our mission this is these are the principles that drive our work um and you need to align on that before but there are some quite big um, programs. I know, for example, um, there's a Breaking Barriers program. I'm not involved in it, but I know Women Win, Adidas, Common Goals. So, of course, you have you have different partners. And so there's this is another skill set I think that a sport for development organizations have to have is how to have those conversations with those bigger with those bigger entities and and make sure that you're able to communicate what your organization's about. You know, what are your what are your things where you don't you know you you have to make sure that those are part of it the design of the programs and your non-negotiables and ensuring that you know those then become part of the, the 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 program which is led by the partnership so i think it's tricky i think it's exciting though that a lot of different sport entities are interested in more of their social responsibility and then that leads them many times to look okay who's doing what and who's using sport for a tool for this outcome that we're also interested in. The other thing I would say is what you see from some of these partnerships where there's a sport for development organization involved, there's maybe a, a sport company, a sport brand, is that um, they try to align around the SDGs. So um, I've seen sport companies um, looking and you know they say, okay, we're our, our social um, arm or our social responsibility, we really target uh, gender equality goal five or life on land or life below water and so then they look for ngos or social you know community-based organizations who are also doing work on that and so if you have this alignment with the goals i think that helps then in the next conversation but i'm sure there's more nuances and, and trickiness um, to make sure that then the final program is you know aligns with everybody's uh principles but yeah i think it's i think it's key because it's not just sport and delivering a sport session but it's it's this kind of the intended use the intentional use of sport to make sure that it um, meets other social outcomes and this is where 
um, yeah, people have different perspectives on that. So, but yeah, it's, it's a, it's a great question. And there's, there's also a lot of researchers looking at this at the different partnerships and, um, different stakeholders who are involved in sport for development. So I think we'll also see based on research and some academic, uh, work kind of what works and, and maybe some examples where it hasn't worked as well. Absolutely. And earlier, just before I asked you this question, you mentioned that you, you hope to be part of the impact. And I am very curious, what impact are you hoping to make within the sports industry in general or within the next four or five years? Yeah, I, that's such a <laughs> such a great question for me to also reflect on because I've had lots of experiences as a, you know, as my lived experiences in sport and playing and, and seeing um, and, and getting frustrated by the way things are for women and girls in sport. So that's really sport and the experience and access to sport. But then I've also been working in this space where I see um, sport as an intentional tool for social outcomes, and that really excites me. Um, so my own impact, this is what I'm also trying to figure out. So this is why I love this question, um, because Part of me is is really um, about the design of sport for development programs because I think I've had both experience on the um, participation and access to, and I'm, I'm I'm trying to be as as aware as I can as possible about the different barriers. But then I'm also very aware of how sport can. Um, what are the different practices, models? Whether you use design thinking in designing your programs. So I'm really interested in in how the design of sport for development programs uh, can be better um, and better in the sense that um, based on then monitoring, evaluation, learning, um, you know, how they can then really meet and reach the goals that they intend to reach when they say that they are working to use sport to reduce uh, gender-based violence, for example. So I see myself in this, um, in this, in this kind of role of, looking of supporting um this general space by being someone who's very aware of the design and delivery of sport for development programs but also not losing touch of kind of the challenges which exist um uh, in around in and around just participating in sport and and i say this because for me i was really um not shocked because I knew it existed, but when this conversation around safeguarding in sport became, at least from my understanding, obviously it's been there forever, but more and more a hot, a very, very important topic is, and I was thinking, okay, we keep talking about sport as this tool for development, but if sport in itself is not a safe space for youth, for any community, for adults, then how can we then, it can't be used as a, a tool for something else when the actual sport itself isn't. So then I um, started to look at, at safeguarding and, and how important it also is for, and this comes in the design of programs, um, how it is really important for any, any type of program design to ensure that safeguarding and safeguarding policies, um, principles, procedures are integrated into uh, the de design of any program. So. I think when you get into sport for development, it, it is gets a little trick, you know, it gets trickier because you have to make sure the sport in itself is done in a safe way, that there's good coaches, that they feel well trained, they feel empowered. And then you've got to also bring in the development. Um, so what do we know from the development? I mean, there's an entire development sector, <laughs> international development people working in this space. Um, 
And so you have to kind of combine the two, of course. And this is where I, I find my, my role. And I'm not there yet, um, but this is where I, would, I think I can hopefully um, bring and contribute to, to impact, you know, to, to positive impact. Um, just kind of this in this space between development and sport and, and make sure that the designing of programs are, are really um, done with care, with intention, you know, trying to think of different principles as you, as you had said, as you had asked, you know, about purpose-driven, all of this in the actual design and delivery of programs, so. <laughs> and if there's someone listening to you right now wanting advice on how they can get started in, in the mm -hmm. sport and development space, or how they can actually accelerate their work and amplify their work, what advice would you give them? Wow, yeah. I mean, I, as I said, because I think of it as, you know, sport for development. So I would encourage understanding kind of the, the barriers to sport, the acts, you know, there's lots of literature about this. There's lots of uh, programs. There's That's what's nice at this point. If you're interested in getting into the space, there's a lot more resources. There's a lot of toolkits. There's um, different platforms, the International Platform for Sport for Development. You can find all sorts of resources. You can find MOOCs where you can learn about sport for development policy and practice. Um, of course, there are universities, but if you don't want to go that route, there's still a lot of kind of um, existing resources and people out there whom you, you could contact to learn more about sport for development. Um, I would really encourage kind of the safeguarding and, and looking at kind of what are the really key topics, um, even in sport and youth sport, and, and really thinking also about, um, yeah, why is it that you want to get into sport for development? Are there certain topics that you're really interested in? A lot of people um, are speaking about sport for development and how um, different organizations can do more around uh, climate change and take, you know, climate action. Um, so if you have this kind of background in, in climate in environmental science and so on, there's a lot of interest in that and support for development as well. So how can you run programs also in a more sustainable way? Um, sustainability is is a key topic. So if you can understand that from your educational background or academic background, whether it's economic sustainability, social sustainability, you know, keeping people in programs and or environmental, as I said, um, I think bringing that type of knowledge into the sport for development space is really key. And I would also um, think about what type of role you would like. So look at different organizations, look at there's there's bigger networks out there which exist. So as I said before, there's you know different levels of organizations. So there's like your community base, who's really a delivery, you know, they're delivering the programs. Then you've got kind of a step up where it's um, larger organizations and they are, delivering programs, but they're also able to scale up. And so they might have people who are head of programs. And so thinking about what position you would like, what capacity, what interests you have, um, also in, in, in thinking about how you would like to contribute, but really looking looking at existing organizations, how are they set up? How do they run projects? Who are their uh, sponsors, as, as we spoke about, or who are their key partners? Um, there's a lot of different events, whether online or in person, where you could try to go and, and really networking is, is really key. Um, finding out by speaking with people directly about what the programs that they're running, what are some challenges they're having. Also ask people, um, read reports, see where they're having challenges. Maybe this is something that you can bring in or you can bring in some expertise um, to support on the different challenges. There's a lot of 
discussion around monitoring, evaluation, and learning. So if you understand kind of how people learn, how to evaluate learning and learning objectives and measurement, um, and, and if you have that kind of social science research background, I think there's a lot of opportunity there. So I, I would think of it as kind of the space where for development, um, be aware and be conscious of you know the different development theories and and so on and then obviously you should have an awareness around sport and what it looks like in different countries but don't be you know don't be hesitant to you know to start asking people what they're doing what's what is their role what is their organization about and and really start to just have conversations with people um there's a lot of resources out there also because of during covid so many organizations um, yeah, they had webinars and they recorded them and they made them then available. So um, really look to like Sport for Development. Like I said, Sport and Adev, their, their website. There's also Beyond Sport. Um, there's a lot of others. Um, and also one last thing is if you find a specific area or a target, so say you wanted to, you're really interested in how sport can be used to work with uh, refugee communities or people with refugee backgrounds. Um, there's an entire platform which was developed through an Erasmus Plus um, grant. Um, it's run by ISCA and it's integration of refugees through sport. And they have tons of resources and they actually have, um, you know, uh, people, the communities with refugee backgrounds speaking about sport, how it's, you know, changed their lives. What are the challenges? What are the limitations? Um, so there's just, uh, yeah, I know sometimes knowledge management and knowledge transfer when you're trying to get in to a, in a to a certain um, space or sector is difficult, but ask people, um, you know, communicate on, on LinkedIn. There's lots of groups there. There's lots of community practices. I'll also share some links um, at the end. So I, I definitely get asked by a, kind of a younger generation for tips and tricks. And uh, I put together some, some ideas, um, which I think could help. Of course, uh, I had my experience and mine was more about volunteering and getting involved, but I had at that moment in my time and my life, I had the privilege of being able to volunteer. That's not easy for everybody, but that's how I really learned. But now I'm seeing that you you can do it in other ways. So I'm happy to share some some links afterwards. Absolutely. And Marissa, what a pleasure it has been. You're truly a fountain of knowledge. You're just like flowing with knowledge when it comes, you know your stuff. So um, thank you so very much for taking time out to come and share all that you know. I mean, not some of what you know because I, I i'm sure you know so much more of what you know with us and uh yeah i'm i'm very excited to to sort of see what the future holds for you and uh for the listeners as well what they get to to do after listening to to this conversation and exactly as marissa said we will have links in the description box here so please do check those links out marissa thank you so much for coming to the podcast thank you and i really appreciate it if your goal is to get more supporters, superior sales and real revenue, then visit our website at datatalks.se and fill out our demo form to experience firsthand how we can help you. Data Talks, more supporters, superior sales, real revenue.